Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible, open up to the book of Numbers, chapter 2. Numbers 2. If you remember our study last week, the Lord gave the command to uh, a census, give a number of the people, number of the tribes in the camp. And in chapter 1, verse 46 says, uh, all who were numbered were 603,550. 603, and so what we're seeing right now in, in chapter 2 of Numbers we're seeing uh, 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 further blueprints being given, but for the lay of the land, how to lay out the camp. And we see a picture of the camp of Israel like a cross. If, you, if we were to go like back in time, say we had a time machine, we go back in time, and we're here at the camp, and we're, we have a drone, and then we take the drone with us, and then boom, we launch it, we go high up in the sky, and we look at the image, what would we see? We'd see a cross. And so what's so powerful here is we see like in um, uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, in verse 3, we see the east side. In chapter 10, we see the south side. And in chapter, or not chapter, in uh, verse 3, we see the east side. And then in verse 10, we see the south side. And then in verse 18, we see the west side. And then in verse 25, we see the north side. So already you see the cross, but then we're going to look at the numbers of the camps, the, the, the population in the camps. And what's so right in the middle in verse 17 is the camp of the Levites, the camp of the Levites. And remember, they had the responsibility in, in chapter one, verse 50 says, you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. So the, the Levitical priesthood, they were the ones responsible for the tabernacle. And so what do you see right in the middle? The camp of the Levites and the tabernacle. Right there in the middle. In the midst of Israel. You see how beautiful this is? All these things in the reading the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, Deuteronomy. It's all a shadow of the things to come. And already just, just the, 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 the lay of the land, these blueprints that are given in, in, in terms of the numbers of the tribes of people and their, 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 how they lay everything out, their camps, how the, their encampment, even that alone is a shadow of the things to come. The cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see? And so let's, let's start here in verse 1 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard or by his own banner or flag. Beside the emblems of his father's house, they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. So you have the tabernacle of meeting, but then there's like this, uh, if you just kind of like go like spread out from the tabernacle of meeting, then boom, that's where the camps begin. And the, from the east side, south side, west side, and then north side. And population-wise, we're going to see the numbers of the, the camp, and it forms a little cross. Well, I mean, a big cross when you consider the, the number of people. And so it says here in verse, th in verse 3, on the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces of Judah shall camp according to their armies. And Nashon, the son of Aminadab, shall be the leader of the children of Judah. And his armies was and his army was numbered at seventy four thousand six hundred. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, and Nethanel the son of Zuar shall be the leader of the children of Issachar. And his army was numbered at fifty four thousand 
54,400. Verse 7, Then comes the tribe of Zebulun, and, Elia, and Eliab the son of Helon shall be the leader of the children of Zebulun, and his army was numbered at 57,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Judah, 186,400. These shall break camp first. So you see, even like the order of how things are to be broken down when they move from new site to new site to new site. It's always these camps of the east side. Remember, with the, uh, 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 on the, uh, in verse 3, on the east side toward the rising of the sun. You see, and it's just order. That's what we see here, order, no chaos. That's what's so beautiful about walking with our Lord is that we see order. You know, He desires order in our lives as He puts us together, spiritually speaking, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and the Holy Spirit building brick by brick and brick by brick inside of your temple. And He desires order. Sometimes we don't see order. Sometimes we don't see order. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Numbers. Sometimes you don't see order. And you know, it's, it's sad. But at the same time for us, it's kind of encouraging too because it's like, wow, you know, how it... it for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it shows me my need of a Savior. My need, not a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. People say, oh, you Christians, you're so weak, you know. You use Jesus Christ as a crutch. I say, amen. He's not just a crutch. He's my ambulance. You know, he's my full-blown hospital because I need him. I can't do life without him. I need him in my life. Oh, so beautiful. He says, he doesn't push me away. And he doesn't push you away. Remember, whosoever. Whosoever believes. And that's what's so beautiful about a love relationship with Jesus Christ. You fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. And you abide in him. No period. You abide in him and him in you. Oneness. Oneness. And so we see in this, you know, the, the, uh, um, uh, the, the camp of Judah in verse 3, Judah, it also included Issachar and in, in verse 5 and then in verse 7, also Zebulun, all totaling uh, in verse 9, 186,400. These shall break camp first, he says. And this is on the east side. Now in verse 10. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces of Reuben, according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Reuben shall be Eliezer, the son of Shedir. And his army was numbered at 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. And the leader of the children of Simeon shall be Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. Uh, uh, Z Z Zurishadai, and his army was numbered at 59,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad shall be Eliasaph, the son of Reuel. And this is also uh, Deuel. It's, it's kind of transcribed as Reuel and Deuel. And so, like, sometimes you'll read, like, in uh, in chapter 1, we see a reference to Reuel. Uh, but then, at the same time, in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, 
It says in chapter 114, it says, From Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Deuel. So sometimes you read the like passages of Scripture, and you're like, wait a second, I thought it was Deuel. And here's uh, uh, Reuel. Well, sometimes these are uh, transcribed like uh, 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 the same person, but different references in the names. We'll explain that further because you're going to see more and more of this in the Old Testament. You see a little bit in the New Testament too. Like, um, who's the gal? Um, Priscilla. And then Paul calls her Prissa. You know, so it's like, wait a second, who is this Prissa lady? And then you realize, wait a second, it's, it's Priscilla. So you see little uh, monikers like that. And then here in uh, <clears throat> verse 15, uh, chapter 2, Numbers, says, And his army was numbered at 45,650. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Reuben, 151,450. They shall be the second to break camp. Remember, order. So imagine you have all these people, like in chapter 1, verse 46 says there's 603,550. Imagine all these, okay, it's time to break camp, guys. And there's just, a, just a, a gaggle of people all over the place. But no, there's orders like, okay, you know, Judah is going to go first. And then the next ones to break camp is Reuben. And it's all in order. It's not like a huge mess or anything. Where you see the mess happens, we're going to study that in Numbers. Where you see the mess happens is where you start to see um, idolatry. Idolatry and sexual sin. We're going to see these things in the book of Numbers. It's going to kill you. It's going to break your heart. Because you can read these passages and be like, Whoa, what's happening? What are you guys doing? You know, Don't you remember the Lord? Don't you remember what He said? We're going to read these passages. And you know what? Think about your own life. You know, like, uh, you know, like if, if, if we talked about on Sunday, you know, you take the left road. That's the bad road. That's the road of the flesh. You take the right road and that's the road of the spirit. And sometimes you take like five steps to the left and you can hearken back to our studies in numbers. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, what, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Why are my hands here? Why are my feet here? Why is my mind here? Sometimes you can be completely stationary, but in your mind, you're like five miles in the left, you know, on the left path, the left side. You see, so, you know, if, you, if you're listening, you're like, what is he talking about? Listen to our study just last Sunday in Romans 8. And you'll understand what we're talking about. You know, and sometimes, you know, we start to wonder, like we, we, we wonder, but then at the same time, we wander. When we don't take our minds captive to the obedience of Christ, we can wander. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us isolated. I mean, you ever watch the nature shows? I, I, sometimes I watch the nature shows because I like to see, like, you know, the animals killing. <laughs> so, like, I'll, I'll, I'll watch, like, you know, fight night. I'll watch the boxing matches. And then when that's over, I'll go to like the nature channel and I'll watch the killing. <laughs> but it's so interesting when you see the lions, you know. Sometimes you have this pack of gazelle or zebra or uh, wildebeest. And they're always, they're like all together. And then the lions start to run and they start to attack. And then, and, and, and then like there's like an old one, an old wildebeest, you know, or like a, a baby wildebeest. And all of a sudden, that one gets isolated from the group. 
And in isolation, boom, the lions attack. Sometimes they, they take on some big animals. The lions, all they got to do, they just isolate this one little animal. Once that one little animal, sometimes it's a big animal. They, they, they isolate it, and then boom, they go in for the kill. And, you know, they start to eat. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm glad that, you know, the, the Lord provides, you know, he, there's food for everybody, you know, animals too. But, you know, in terms of our walk with the Lord, sometimes in isolation, it's a beautiful thing when you're isolated with the Lord. But, you know, there's another side to isolation too. And that can be sin. Sin. And, and you know, you take the, the path left and you keep walking and walking and walking. That's the way the flesh in what we talked about, what we studied in Romans 8, you take the path left and it's like you keep walking, walking. And it's like, why? Why am, I, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why is my mind here? Whenever you, you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know, you repent right then and there. You repent. And the Lord will bring you back to His path on the narrow path. Right smack dab in the middle of the narrow path. Not, you know, trespassing. You know, you take a little sidestep, 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 sidestep. You know, that's dangerous. Sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left. You know, pretty soon you're like isolated. Remember the enemy roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. And he loves isolation. Of Christians, young, old, it doesn't matter. He loves isolation of Christians. But what's better is when your isolation is with Jesus Christ. I mean, you hear me talk about, you know, intimacy with the Lord, oneness with Him, you know, solitude with Him. And it is beautiful. But there's another side to that, which is dangerous. Not the side of that, but there's another side of isolation, which is dangerous. And that's isolation in sin. It's not good. Isolation in trespasses, that's not good. And that's where, you know, the body of Christ comes in. We can pray for one another, encourage one another, urge one another, even warn one another. In some cases, rebuke one another. If you're going to warn, if you're going to rebuke, you better make sure you're not a hypocrite. That's, you know, hearken to our studies in Romans 2. You better make sure you're not a hypocrite. You can't, biblically speaking, you are biblically unqualified from correcting a brother, correcting a sister, if you yourself are in that sin. You are unqualified. You cannot do it. So before you attempt to correct another brother, another sister, you need to take the plank out of your own eye. And a lot of times people say, oh yeah, don't judge me lest you be judged. Okay, number one, I'm not judging you. You know, you're not being judged. I'm not saying, hey, you're going to burn in hell. You know, that, that you can't do that. Only the Lord can judge. But, you know, there's three forms and also other forms of the word crino. There's crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Those are the three biggies in the Bible. Crino, you can't do. No man can do. Only the Lord can do. That crino is like judgment, like you're going to hell. No Christian can do that. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's anacrino and diacrino. That's where you have to make an assessment, a determination. And yes, a judgment. It's not judgment as like a sentence. It's judgment like, you know, you have to make a determination. And that's what Paul speaks about. For the pastors, for the elders, and also for the body of Christ. Correcting another brother. 
And the Lord speaks to us about hypocrisy. Read Matthew 23. I mean, if you listen to our study in Matthew 23, you know what happens? The Lord rebukes hypocrites. Jesus Christ read letters. He rebukes the hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Exclamation point. How many times, you know, how many times do we do? We do? Let's go there really quick. Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17. Fools and blind. In verse 19, fools and blind, exclamation point. I mean, all these verses that I read had an exclamation point. In verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. Verse 24, blind guides. In verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. Verse 26, blind Pharisee. In verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. You see verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, exclamation point. In verse 33, serpents, brood of vipers. Whoa, this is hardcore. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. His words against the hypocrites. And so always remember, if you're going to correct another brother, you know, do it in love. You know, there, you know, <laughs> me personally, I'm of the camp that believes that there is no greater love than giving the word of God. Than giving the word of God. And of course, you know, as the word says, no greater love than, you know, dying for another person. But a very close second to that is giving the word of God. Truth of God's holy word. And truth hurts sometimes. You know, you don't have to beat anybody over the head with the Word of God. Don't do that because it's a sharp sword. Sharp, sharp sword. You don't want to do that. You can hurt somebody. But then at the same time, there are biblical truths. Well, when they're spoken, when they're taught, when they're used, those words alone can do plenty correction inside of a heart. But you cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot be carnal either. You can't, you know, do your strip clubs, do your crack, do your meth, do your alcohol, and then all of a sudden attempt to teach the Word of God. You can't. It's, it's a supernatural recipe. You can't do it, though many try. You can't correct another brother. You can't correct another sister when you yourself are in the same exact sin. Biblically, you cannot. You know, that's part of the reason why a lot of pastors and elders, they have no power. They have no power. And if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you know, it's not your power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be carnal. Be of the circumcision. Maturing in Christ. Like a spiritual eunuch. You know, it's we studied that already, but you know, you hear me mention from time to time about a spiritual eunuch. You know, have your minds in the heavenly realm. 
And I say pastors and elders, but if you're a pew Christian, it's the exact same thing for you. Exact same thing for you. You can correct another brother. You can correct another sister. A lot of pastors and elders get away with murder because pew Christians, they just take it. They listen and they're like, oh, okay, this guy went to school, this guy went to school. Surely they know what they're talking about. And then boom, you get all this false doctrine that enters the church. And don't be discouraged if you're like in the pews and you're like, man, what do I do? What do I do? This pastor's teaching crazy town. Well, you can tell him. You know, you're not a hypocrite. Say your pastor says, hey, church, let's go grave soaking. Which is, you know, it's growing in popularity in the church because, you know, some famous church says it's okay to do their ministry team. This says it's okay to do. The Bible says don't do that. It's necromancy. It's an abomination before the Lord. That's what the Bible says. But these guys, they go to Bible college. They have their theology degree. And then all of a sudden they come back to their church and they say, start teaching, hey, let's go grave soaking. Grave soaking is this concept where, you know, you say you have a, 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 a couple who have died. They're dead. Well, I mean, you know, they're asleep, spiritually speaking, but they've, they've died. And you have a pastor who will go lay on their gravesite to soak in the Holy Spirit. That's what grave soaking is. And a lot of famous pastors, a lot of famous churches are doing just that, taking their youth groups and going grave soaking. And you see a lot of youth leaders, they're like, oh, I'm going to submit to my pastor. The Bible says submit to my pastor, which is true in submission to the pastor. But don't forget the head pastor, which is Jesus Christ, capital P, the head pastor. You submit to him. Just like a husband and wife, when a husband gets crazy, no, the wife submits to Jesus Christ and holds on for her husband for dear life. Holds on to Jesus Christ for dear life and holds on to her husband because she can save her husband and save her kids. What about a youth leader in that, in that same situation? A youth leader submits to the uh, pastoral authority of Jesus Christ. Pastor goes off in crazy town, hey, church, let's go grave soaking. The elders are like, oh, yeah, all the, all the elders are like, yes, man. Oh, yes, that's a good idea, Pastor. Let's go do that. And you have this, you know, young youth leader who's like, wait a second, that's, that's not biblically accurate. We, sh- we can't be doing this. It's an abomination. That youth leader, because he's in submission to Jesus Christ, can go to the pastor, go to the elder and say, hey, guys, um, we got a problem here. This isn't right. Look what the Bible says. This isn't right. And that youth leader can say, hey, Pastor, hey, elders, you guys need to repent because of this travesty that you've brought upon the church, God's people. You need to repent. Can you imagine a youth, young youth leader saying that? You say, whoa, 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 wait a second. A youth leader is supposed to submit to the pastoral authority. Yeah, you're right. Capital P, the pastoral authority of Jesus Christ. It's his church. So you have this young youth leader. It's not a not a hypocrite, not carnal, feeds his little flock, young kids. You see, if you're a youth leader, if you're like in ministry and you think, oh, you're just like on the low end of the totem pole, you know, honor the Lord. Let him be Lord of your life and just every little, just let him just bask in the word of God and worship him, glorify him. And the Lord sees, the Lord sees just like Jeremiah. Look at all the elders in the age of Jeremiah. All the the priests in the age of Jeremiah. 
Why didn't the Lord go to those guys? Why is it that the Lord went to Jeremiah? Why is it that the Lord went to Zephaniah? Of all the people he could have chosen of the so-called priesthood. I say so-called priesthood. They were priests. They were in the priesthood. But were they priests or were they disqualified? I mean, why did the Lord go to Ezekiel, Amos, Joel, Zechariah? Because he sees the hearts. You say like, okay, that's very male-centric. Yes, it's male-centric. Remember, male covering. But don't forget Esther. The male covering of Mordecai. Mordechai. Don't forget she had a male covering. Of Mordecai. And then all of a sudden she had the uh, uh, male covering of her husband. So like, you know, a lot of times you read the Old Testament and, you know, for my sisters who are like, you know, like, oh, wow, you know, the, you know, everything's male-centric, male-centric. Well, don't forget Esther. Ruth, we're going to study Ruth in a little bit. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, his eyes are everywhere. He sees the hearts of men, the hearts of women, the hearts of boys, the hearts of girls. Look at uh, Samuel, little young Samuel, a little boy. Why didn't the Lord speak to the high priest? Why didn't the Lord speak to the high priest's sons? But no, he spoke to Samuel. And prior to Samuel, he heard the prayers of Hannah. It's so cool how the Lord works. So I mentioned this, you know, this correction in the body of Christ for you and me today. And you can be a corrector of brothers and sisters. And it's not like a title. Don't, don't wear it as like a badge of honor. You know, it's just something that you're able to do when you're not carnal. When you're not a hypocrite. A lot of hypocrites attempt to correct. And they're... they're they're going to give an answer for that. They're going to stand before the Lord. A lot of pastors, they attempt to correct. They attempt to give counsel when they are biblically unqualified to. Yeah, they have the role of a pastor. But if you have a pastor who's beating up his wife every night and then counseling a husband on not to beat up his wife, he's going to answer for that before the Lord. But a pastor who doesn't fear the Lord is dangerous. It's not a pastor. So be of good cheer because the Lord, He uses anybody, young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. And the, you know, uh, uh, the, these a lot of these passages that we read in the Old Testament are very male-centric, but then at the same time, in Christ, because we are a new covenant people, remember there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, you know, Jew, Gentile, there's none of that. All one in Christ. All one in Christ. Now, there's still aspects that are still, like for a female, under the covering of her husband, under the covering of a pastoral leadership, male and female. It's a spiritual covering. It's a covering that pastors can teach and equip and train. Just like Timothy was under Paul. Now look, you read how Paul exhorts Timothy. 
and Titus under the pastoral leadership of Paul. Look how they were used. Look how they started. Timothy, a young kid. And that's what's so powerful about our study in the Old Testament is that you see order. Order, where you start to see chaos. You know, chaos comes in, but it's not prescribed of the Lord. Just like the church. You see chaos in the church, but that's not the Lord's prescription. That's not in the Word of God. The Word of God says this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if you're a sister in Christ, one of my sisters, don't be discouraged that woman of God is included here. <laughs> you see, a lot of times, you know, sometimes, you know, you look on, I remember it blew me away so much because like, like when I, I remember, this is like 20 years ago, we would go to church and like Sunday would be packed. You see husbands with their families, wives and the kids and all these, you know, a bunch of guys all over, old people. But then there were other nights where in the middle of the week, there'd be like a prayer night. And you look, they'd be like a small, like not even a third, not even like 25%. And like a, a little bit less than a quarter of the church, you know, and it'd be all women. There'd be a couple guys there. They'd be all women, a lot of old women. Wow, well, on a Wednesday night, you know, on a Tuesday night, on a Thursday night, whatever it was. Sometimes there's a prayer meeting. Sometimes it's just, uh, like midweek Bible study. But you see men on Sundays that, 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 you know, they're there at church. But then you see men all, you know, at all the times, but it's just fewer midweek. You know, and it's so beautiful to, to be encouraged by my sisters in Christ. You know, so if you're a sister, you know, don't be discouraged. Don't be like, you know, man, you know, I'm second class. That's one of the problems in the church today. A lot of pastors look down on women. And it's, you know, I don't like that. It's one of my pet peeves in the church. I don't like that. Because in Christ, there's no male, female. Or one, there's still order. There's still order, but there's still a structure of order. But at the same time, it's like, wait a second. You know, women can do this. The men can do this. And the women are like, I like to see women as like China bowls. Like, uh, I mean, not China bowls, but like, I don't know, I'll say a China bowl. You know, the man is like cast iron and like the women is China bowl. Where they can still hold the same amount of whatever, but they can't take a beating like the guys. That's how I see. Because the women are the weaker vessel, as the Bible teaches. Now, if you're a feminist, you know, if you're a feminist woman, or nowadays there's feminist men. I don't understand that. Well, I mean, I do, but... <laughs> you know, I understand feminist women, but the feminist men, uh, you know, that's, that's we'll save that for another study. But, you know, if you're a feminist... And you're like, what do you mean the woman is the weaker vessel? Well, that's exactly what I mean. The weaker vessel. In that same, in that same uh, concept. You know how like, I, you know, you could take like a, a, a cup, a china cup. Or you can take a, a cast iron cup. Cast iron being the man and china being the female, the woman. You can still hold the same amount of water. You can still be used in the same capacity. But if you bash one too hard, one is going to break. If you bash the other too hard, it'll dent. 
See, you're still going to have a bruising there. If you're a man, you're still going to have a bruising there. But you're not going to be shattered. That's what I mean when I talk about the weaker wrestle. That's what the Bible teaches. Don't be discouraged. If, if you're female and you're like, man, I'm the weaker wrestle, don't be discouraged. It's beautiful. You know why? Because in the Lord's strength, you're made strong. You can lean on Him. I used to hate weakness. You know, when I was younger, like 20 years ago, I keep saying 20 years ago, but now that I think about it, it's like 25 years ago, I think. I, I forget. Once you like once you get 39, you just like forget like the ages. You're like, oh, I don't know what how old I am. You know, you kind of have to really think about it, maybe reflect, go, go to your ID. So I, I it, now that I think about it, it's like 25 years ago. Uh, but like I used to I used to not like weakness. I used to hate it. You know, like Stephen, I'd read the account of Stephen and I hated it in the Bible. I hated it. I thought, well, he's the biggest weak guy. I like I don't like his weakness. Today I look at that. Wow. What a titan. What a titan. What a beautiful, beautiful, strong. And it's not his strength, it's the strength of the Lord. But I love it so much. So if you're female, if you're my sister in Christ, you know, don't 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 think that weakness is a bad thing. I see weakness as incredibly beautiful. Because look at who you can lean on even more. Look at whose strength can be shown even more. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's go back to our study now in Numbers 2. So you see order here in the camp. Remember, it's time to, you know... uh, 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 gather everything and move out, you know, that you have order of who goes out first. There's no chaos. It's not like, okay, we're breaking camp and then everybody just, you just it's just a mess and people all over the place. We see order. Order. And so here in verse 17, it says, and the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps. Remember in chapter 1, verse 50, how the tabernacle was the responsibility of the Levites. In verse 51 of chapter 1 says that the uh, uh, when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tab- tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. We talked about that last week. Not advocating the law. But, you know, this handling of the tabernacle requires death, Old Testament and New Testament. You say, wait a second, what do you mean New Testament? Well, you remember our studies in Romans 7? How marriage to Jesus Christ requires death. All these spiritual connotations to these Old Testament references. Why? Because the Old Testament itself is a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ. And even the body of Christ. And so in verse 17 of chapter 2 here, says that the camp of the Levites in, in the, uh, shall, the tabernacle of meeting shall move out in the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps. As they camp, so, shall, so they shall move out everyone in his place by their standards. So you see, the Levitical priesthood, from a very carnal standpoint, I'm going to say something very carnal, but the Levitical priesthood calls the, calls the shots. They're the ones that calls the, calls the shots. And so you, you hear that, hear me say that. It's like, okay, you know, these guys are called the shots. Okay, well, wait a second. Hold on. Don't forget that the priests, hearken back to our study in Leviticus and even Exodus. 
the priesthood, their ears and their hearts are to be very, very tuned in to the Lord. Very tuned in to the Lord. He's the one who directs. So when I say very carnal to say that the priesthood calls the shots, in a very carnal sense, the priesthood calls the shots. Like, okay, you know, we're moving here, we're moving here, we're moving here. But it's not just, you know, a group of guys saying, hey, we're moving here, we're moving here, we're moving here, we're going here, we're going here. No. These are guys who have trained up in the Lord, studied in the Lord, you know, from little kids. Like, you know, they're raised up in, in this priesthood. And that's their purpose is for people to be right with the Lord. A very, very special people, the priesthood, Levitical priesthood. Old Testament reference. But a very, very special people. Now what happens with the priesthood in the course of time? They go off into crazy town. Not all of them. Some of them. And then who does the Lord use? Prophets. Prophets to tell people. I meant when the priest goes off into crazy town, when the people go off into crazy town, when kings go off into crazy town, you know who the Lord chooses? He looks at the heart. He sees the hearts of people. He says, hey, Jeremiah, hey, Isaiah, I got a job for you. Just like he did with Moses. Hey, Zephaniah, I got a job for you. Just like he does with you and me as messengers to tell the good news. To tell the good news and preach good tidings and tell people of God's love. Always standing on the, the rock of salvation, truth, not shunning, not shying away from truth, but giving the truth of God's holy word. And so the priesthood are, you know, they're supposed to be keen on the Lord. What is the direction of the Lord? And they can seek his face. It's okay, we're going here, guys. You know, it's the exact same thing now, except for you and me, walking by faith and in tune with Jesus Christ, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You know, so you're at the fork in the road. You know, just a, 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 kind of like a little um, commentary on the, our uh, uh, Sunday study in Romans 8. So you're at the fork in the road. You know, and it's not like, you know, you have to test the waters and take 10 steps to the left just to see if it's bad. You know, number one, don't trust in yourself. You know, don't ask yourself the question, why wouldn't God want me to have this? Why wouldn't God want me to go here? Why wouldn't? Because we talked about that. You know, the heart's not necessarily a good thing. But the heart that's circumcised, circumcised to Jesus Christ, that's an entirely different thing. An entirely different creature Creation in Christ. So you hit the fork in the road. Rather than take 20 steps to the left to test the waters, you pray. And you seek the Lord out. Lord, what is your will for me? You know, Lord, my flesh wants this. My carnal nature wants this. You don't need me to tell you that, Lord. You know it already, but I'm going to tell you. Because I want to expose. I like being fully exposed before you. Just like, you know, Adam and Eve. Now, they were naked in the Garden of Eden. Straight up naked. Now, if your mind is going off into crazy town, you need to repent because I'm not even talking about crazy town. When they were nude in Eden, it's like without shame. When sin came in, all of a sudden they had a covering for themselves. They, had, they fashioned coverings for themselves. And then the Lord asked them, who told you you were naked? 
And then the Lord gave them a covering, animal skin, fur for their bodies to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame. You see? First sacrifice. Because that required blood sacrifice. Blood, life for life. So when you hear me talk about, you know, when I mentioned things like this, fully exposed before the Lord. It's not a bad thing at all. It's beautiful. But if you're thinking carnal and your mind goes off into crazy town, you can't think that. Don't think that. Repent. If your mind does that, repent. You just, you know, hit pause. Lord, forgive me. My mind, I'm not taking it captive to obedience obedience unto you, Lord. Forgive me. Lord, help me because I don't want my mind to be a filthy, nasty, disgusting, rotten place. I want it to be beautiful. To honor you, Lord. And then, you know, Pause again or play and let's keep walking to Zion. Let's keep, you know, continue on our way to paradise. And so, you know, so you're at the fork in the road, you know, and you pray, you know, the Lord knows already, but you can say, Lord, you know, like, you know, my flesh, my carnal nature, my passions, whatever, it's this, but Lord, not my will, thy will. And the Lord will direct your steps. It's so beautiful because we start to learn and walk with Him. How, what, you know, sacrifice. You know, our desires start to change. Why? Because we have a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. And our desires start to change. It's like, wow, I don't want the crack anymore. I don't want the strip clubs anymore. Wow, I don't want the whiskey anymore. I don't want the wild turkey anymore. Wow, I don't want this stuff anymore. I don't like to be a tax cheat. I don't like to say my little white lies. I don't like to do this stuff anymore. I don't like to be a dirty employee. I don't like to be a dirty employer. You see, the Lord changes you. You learn submission unto Him. And He's with you. That's what's so beautiful about oneness with Him. Because we see how these Levites are the shot callers, so to speak, in terms of directionally speaking. But don't forget, there's a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is Jesus Christ. And you let him call the shots in your life. Lord, what is your will for me? Remember Abraham in Genesis 22? Abraham, here I am. You see, he had intimacy with the Lord. What about when the Lord cries out to your name? When he, You cry out to Him, but what about when He calls your name? He calls your name. Do you have ears to hear? Well, you'll say, here I am, Lord. Remember? You hear me mention it every now and then, but in First Samuel. Little Samuel. He heard a voice calling his name. He had no idea. He was like, what is this? I don't understand what's happening. So he goes to Eli, the high priest. Eli, I'm hearing his voice call my name. And Eli thought it was crazy. But you know what's so interesting? The Lord didn't say, Eli, Eli. He didn't do that. The Lord didn't say, uh, uh, Hophni, Phineas, the sons of Eli. Wicked, wicked sons who didn't even know God except they were serving as priests and they had no relationship with the Lord. They didn't know God. 
And there's a lot of pastors who are serving in a position. They don't even have no idea who the Lord is. I tell you the truth. It breaks my heart to say that. Because these are people who are so-called shepherding God's people. And they're not shepherds at all. But the Lord didn't say, Eli, Phineas, Hophni. No. He said, Samuel. And Samuel was just a little boy. That's what I'm talking about. Oneness with the Lord. Oneness with Him. And so, in verse 17, about the Levites, as they camp, so they shall move out. Everyone is placed by their standard. You see? And so, look what happens here in verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of forces with Ephraim. So, we've already covered the east side, the south side. And now here in verse 18, we're on the west side. Shall be the standard of the forces with Ephraim, according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Ephraim shall be Elishema, the son of Amihud. And his army was numbered at 40,500. Next to, next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh. And the leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. And his army was numbered at 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin. And the leader of the children of Benjamin shall be Abidan, the son of Gideonai. And, the, and his army was numbered at 35,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Ephraim, 108,100. They, they shall be the third to break camp again. You see? Order. Verse 25. The standard of the forces with Dan shall be, shall be on the north side. So we've officially covered all sides now. Well, not yet. We're almost done with Dan. But we've, the actual sides have been mentioned. Here we're on the north side. According to their armies, and the leader of the children of Dan shall be Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. And his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. And the leader of the children of Asher shall be Pegiel, the son of Okran. And his army was numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of the tribe of Naphtali, and and the leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Enan, and his army was numbered at fifty three thousand four hundred, all who were numbered of the forces of Dan one hundred and fifty seven thousand six hundred. They shall break camp last with their standard. Again, you see order. You know something very interesting to note as you hear me mention order, is that. This level of order, laying out the camps, who breaks camp first, the, the Levites in the middle, this level of order came after the Red Sea. And don't forget that there's still another body of water to pass, and that's the Jordan River, which we're going to study in future chapters. So you have two bodies of water. One's the Red Sea, the next is the River Jordan. You see, but even for you and me today, we still have two bodies of water to pass through. One is our water baptism, and the next one is the firmaments. You know, the rapture of the church. When corruption puts on incorruption. The resurrection. 
Jesus Christ was the first fruit of the res- first fruits of the resurrection, and there, that means first fruit means there's more fruit. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. You know, which means there's going to be more. So even for you and me, we still have two passings of water, just like we see here, you know, with Israel. The Red Sea, and then all of a sudden, the Jordan River. For you and me, it's our water baptism. It's like a Red Sea almost. And then passing through the firmaments as we put on our glorified bodies, as the Lord gives us our glorified bodies. And what's so powerful to consider is, you know, how we can have great comfort in this growth and maturity that happens during our walk and our journey with the Lord. Just as what happens here in Numbers. Now, yes, these are terrifying verses that we're going to study in Numbers. Because the first generation, they pass away in the wilderness, except for two. That's Caleb and Joshua. The first generation, they all die. It's the second generation that passes through Jordan. You know what that's a picture of? The flesh. My first generation, your first generation, you know what that is? The flesh, the carnal nature. And then you pass through, our, we pass through our Jordan, which is what? The firmament. And then promised land, Zion. You see? All these things that we're reading about, a shadow of the things to come. You know, on earth as it is in heaven. We see the establishment of these things. We see like, you know, when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints, when we studied in Exodus, you know, the uh, 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 Exodus, like the late 20s, early 30s, Exodus 25 to 31. And we see like, wow, you know, look what's happening here. And then, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. What do we see in the heavenly realm? John, when he has his vision, he sees the, the lampstand. You know, he sees everything on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what's so beautiful about maturity in Christ and growing in Christ is that we can lay aside the elementary things and move on to perfection. You're not going to reach perfection until you're dead. I mean, that's ultimate perfection when you're dead. You know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that doesn't mean, you know, hey, stop moving on to perfection. No way. You keep moving on to perfection. Laying aside all those things that so hinder you. The same way I have to lay aside all those things that so hinder me. We're in the same boat. And as we grow, we mature. We're no longer carnal. You know, go and sin no more. We're no longer hypocrites. We've taken the planks out of our own eyes. Now we're biblically able to help another brother. Hey, brother, put down the crack pipe. Hey, sister, stop stop being a tax cheat. Hey, brother, stop going to strip clubs. You know that's not good. Don't you have you have you not read? Have you not read that the you know the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Don't do that anymore. I know your friends. They call you and they you know they want to go out and do these things. But no, you bring them to church. Instead of allowing Satan to be, you know, fish for you, you fish for them, your friends. Don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. So, hey, brother, you know, I saw you, your social media, your posts, you were getting drunk last night. What is that? Repent. Don't do that. It's not good. I used to do that when I was in my carnal nature, brother. 
Don't do that. Very interesting. You see, like, you know, like all these commercials, you know, everybody's drinking beer, you know, they have their wine, everybody's laughing, having a fun time, but you never see beer commercials with faces in toilets. You never see beer commercials with the guy passed out laying in his own vomit, waking up having no idea what just happened. Where am I? You know, you have no, you, you never see commercials like that. You know, people laugh about it, they joke about it, but it's nothing to be laughing about. It's not a joke. Because Satan puts these blinders on our eyes. He attempts to. You know what? Don't let him. Be wide awake, fully awake. Ready to fight. So a sister, you know, hey sister, I saw your social media. You you know, you were you drunk last night. You know, and here you are in church and you're praising the Lord. You know, I'm glad you're here in church, but you know what? That's the old you. You can't be doing that stuff anymore. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. I'm not I'm not telling you you're going to burn in hell. I'm telling you don't do that. It doesn't honor the Lord. And you know, when you're biblically able to correct another brother, another sister, it's it's not a badge of honor. I, I, I don't say that as a recommendation. Don't wear it as a badge of honor. I mean, I do, but it's painful. It's very painful to correct another brother, another sister. It's incredibly painful. Because you can almost, you can't guarantee that they're going to hate you or they're going to leave, but it's up there. It's up there. But I remember there were times in my life where I was corrected by another brother. Hey, brother, you shouldn't be speaking like that. And then, like, I hated it. You know, he corrected me. I'm like, what? I hate it. Like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And I thought about it, prayed about it, read the Bible. Like, man, I still hate it, but this guy's right. And then I go back to the guy, hey, man, you know, you were so right. You know, and he's like, you know, I didn't want to be right, but I had to say it. Uh, thank you, brother. Give him a big fat hug. Man, I love you. You're like closer than my like biological brothers, you know, because you're looking out for my soul. Man, I love you, brother. You see? That's the fellowship of the saints, koinonia, oneness. You know? I got your back, you got my back. But if you're carnal, if you're if you're on the crack pipe, you know, you don't got my back. I don't let you have my back. You know? You're doing crack, you're going to strip club, you're doing your Ouija boards, you're doing all these things of the occult, you're doing your grave soaking. Nope. You know, you don't got my back. No way. Why? Because you're compromised. I don't want, you know, you go on deployment, you know, you're in the military, you go on deployment, you talk to the commanding officer, the commanding, I mean, depending on what your rank is, the platoon commander comes to you, you know, hey, you know, how's, how's the squad? You, you, you tell you tell them, like, straight up, you know, sir, I mean, not respectfully, you tell them, you know, sir, there, I have issues with, you know, there's this one guy, there's these two guys, we have issues with them, you know, we're working on them and, you know, they just, their lack of discipline is found wanting. You know, in what way, they'll ask you. Well, sir, and then you just kind of lay it out. And certain things, you can't beat out of a guy. I mean, <laughs> not that that's the remedy for things. But, you know, you can only, uh, you, you take the horse to the water. I forgot how the saying goes, but there's that saying, you know, you take the horse to the water. 
Oh, but you can't drink. Something like that. But that's how it is, you know. So you, you make the recommendation, sir. You know, I don't think this guy should go into deployment. Now, if you're a crummy non-commissioned officer or, you know, the, 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 the platoon commander is going to tell you to go fly a kite. He can't trust you. He can't take your word. You're probably not going to hold that position for a long time or ever again. But if you're worth your salt, so to speak, the platoon commander trusts you. You know, you show yourself approved. You equip the, uh, the troops. He's going to take your recommendation. Okay, this guy, let's transfer him out. He's out of here. You're no longer Victor coded. You're no longer attached to our unit. Why? Because that guy, those two guys, whoever, whatever number, they were a liability to the platoon. A liability, very dangerous and harmful to the platoon. You remove the Victor coding, no longer deployable. You know, he attaches to another unit. Not to say that he's, you know, not useful in other arenas. I mean, he might be useful, I don't know, something. But when it comes to combat, when it comes to warfare, when it comes to fighting, not useful at all. He's more of a liability, but not useful. That's why I say these things, you know. If you're on crack, if you're a meth head, I love you, but you know, you don't got my back. I don't want you to have my back. If you're a sex head, if you know you're beating on your wife, if you're doing these, I don't want you to have my back. Because you're a liability. But like the warriors, male, female, I don't care, young, old, you're a warrior. You've rolled on the mat, you know how to like, you know, handle business. Man, I want to link shields with you. Those are the ones I want to link shields with. Why? For combat. To fight. I meant the good fight. You know, the weapons of warfare are not carnal in nature, but those are the ones that I want to link shields with. You know, not you said, oh, let's go grave soaking. Okay, no thanks, but you know, I don't, you don't got my back anymore. You see, oh, God says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. The Bible says it's okay to mark the, take the mark of the beast. Once saved, always saved. You know, look, this pastor says it. What? Take the mark of the beast? No way, that's crazy. You need to repent because don't believe that doctrine. That's crazy town doctrine. Have you repented? No. Okay, you don't got my back. I don't want you on my back. I don't want you link. I don't want to link shields with you. So that's part of the reason why it's kind of lonely, <laughs> you know. And it's not to be mean spirited or anything, but you know what's so crazy? Not crazy, but like. An interesting what the Lord does is that He'll change your heart. He'll give you a heart for these people. So it's not like, you know, hey, you know, I don't want you here. Get out of my face. It's like, okay, you don't got my, my back. I don't want you on my back. I don't want to link shields with you. But I'm going to pray for you. And you're on your face before the Lord interceding for that person. Fighting the fight that they don't want to fight. It's like you're fighting other people's fight, fights. Because they don't want to, they don't want to fight. You're engaging in warfare on their behalf. You see, and this is so beautiful about our study in the Old Testament is that we learn these deep, deep, deep spiritual things. 
And you hear me say, you pulpit Christian, pew Christian. And sometimes the pew Christians, I, I say that to, so we can make the distinction. And so I can make kind of like a, a dual exhortation. But don't be discouraged. If you're a pew Christian, you know, you know, don't be discouraged at all. Because, you know, all the pulpit Christians were once pew Christians. And a lot of the pulpit Christians shouldn't even be at the pulpits. Don't be discouraged. The Lord wants to use you. The question is, how dead are you? How dead are you? Are you a novice? The Lord, I mean, He desires to use you, but it's very dangerous when you're a novice. Because sometimes, you know, you're going to roll around on the mat with somebody that is, you know, spiritually speaking, you're going to roll around on the mat with somebody who knows the Bible more than you. You can't be a novice. And I'll say something about atheists. A lot of atheists know their Bibles, surprisingly. I mean, I was shocked when I came upon the conclusion. Some atheists are just atheists. They don't, they don't like the Lord. I, me, personally, I'm in the camp that says that atheists are really theists. They're just, you know, they want, instead of Jesus Christ at the throne, they want themselves on the throne. But what was really interesting is that the majority of atheists that I've dealt with, that I've spoken with, uh, they know their Bibles. And so you, you can't be a novice. These guys will tear you apart. These guys will chew you up and discourage you greatly. And some pastors, you know, they can't tango with the atheists because it's... They, they, the pastors don't know their Bibles. You have to know you cannot be a novice. You know, I mean, you can be a novice and go like to the trout farm, so to speak, you know, catch little minnows. But as you grow in the knowledge, and remember, knowledge is, those who know, know in part. So knowledge isn't like the, the, the ultimate achievement. Those who know, know only in part. That's what First Corinthians 13 says. But, you know, what's so interesting is that once you know, wow, it's like a, it's not a burden. But you start to understand why the word of God for certain prophets was certain scrolls were sweet in their mouth but bitter in their stomachs. You start to understand it more. Because the word of God is sweet to your mouth. But sometimes in teaching the word of God and in proclaiming the word of God and proclaiming truth, it can be bitter. Why? Because you know that it's not going to be well received. But even then, be of good cheer. Because all you can do is plant a water. It's only God who gives the increase. Only God gives the increase. And in that, you can have great comfort. Remember in the beginning of Romans 1? I think it's very interesting because like in chapter 8, in our study in, in, in Romans 8, how Paul was, you know, explaining like, you know, I made emphasis of the ifs, the words of conditionality. You know, if you're spiritual, if you're carnal, if you're carnal, this, if you're spiritual, this. Kind of placing like, you know, hey church, you choose. And Paul writing a letter, you choose. If you're carnal, then this. If you're spiritual, then this. And if you're carnal, repent and turn into the spiritual. Because all Paul can do is plant or water the same way I can plant or water, the same way you can plant or water. But in Romans 1, 
Verse 15, Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And this is like, the book of Romans is like, that's like the exhausted form of the gospel. It's not a cliff note, definitely not a cliff note. But it's an exhaustive gospel. He, I mean, he goes through every, not everything, but he goes through a lot to a young church. I wonder who it was in Rome who had ears to hear and eyes to see. Who received the words of Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. The words of our Lord. It says a lot about Paul too. For what was coming out of his heart to be going down his arm and his fingertips holding whatever utensil he used to write on parchment. And then all of a sudden, wow, those are the words of our Lord. It says a lot about Paul's deadness. How dead Paul was. It says a lot. Remember, and I make heavy emphasis, and I still make heavy emphasis on Galatians 2.20, where it is Paul who says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's Paul. It's for you too. It's for you too. It's definitely for you too. But my strong encouragement, my strong urging, and my strong warning is for you and me, us, to be dead. That's my strong urging. For us to be crucified with Christ. Crucified with Him. You see? And we can be dead men, dead women, fishermen, dead to the flesh, and alive in the Spirit. So let's conclude our study through the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 2, verse 32, These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces were 603,550. Now you read this, you're like, wow, that's a mighty army. And indeed, you're like, wow, you know, 20 years old, 20 year old guys, 23 year old guys, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28, 28, 29, 30. Wow, these are strong guys. You get some 35-year-olds in there, you know, kind of teetering a little bit. Maybe got some a little bit in the tank, you know. Got a 39-year-old in there, okay. <laughs> 50, you know, you want the young strapping guys, you know. And they get in at 50. It's like, wow, this is a mighty army, all these people. Mighty, mighty army, you know, their greatest, greatest, greatest foe, this mighty army of 603,550, this mighty army, and their greatest foe was themselves. Does that resonate? It does with me. You know, in my walk with the Lord, my greatest foe is the alive me. The alive to the flesh me. That's my greatest foe. That's the one I fear the most. The old nature. The carnal nature. I mean, I fear the Lord. But second to Him is me. And I wonder if it's the same for you. If it's not the same for you, I recommend that you start thinking that way. 
I can't command you. I can't, you know, I can urge you. But I recommend that you start thinking that way. Fear the Lord. But the next one can be yourself. Because sometimes a lot of men, a lot of women, they open the Pandora's box in their heart. And you know what happens? The old nature is alive and well. That person hasn't reckoned the old man dead, hasn't reckoned the old woman dead. That person isn't crucified with Christ. They're married to the law. Hearken to our studies in Romans 7. They're married to the law. And they get further and further and further and further away from the cross. Remember, Judas by transgression fell, Acts chapter 1. Oh, but he had to fall. It was that, that the scriptures could be fulfilled. Okay. What scriptures are fulfilled in you? Oh, I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus Christ cho chose me. Amen. You say well. But don't forget, you twelve I have chosen, and one of you is a devil. Eklagomai. In the Greek, you twelve I have eklagomai. So what scriptures are you going to let be fulfilled in you? The good ones or the bad ones? The blessings or the curses? And you know what? You look at this mighty army of Israel and their greatest foe was themselves. Their idolatry, sexual immorality. And it's the same for you and me. Sometimes our greatest foe is the man in the mirror. Our greatest foe is the woman in the mirror. Which means what? We have to be dead. You better be dead. I better be dead. We better be dead. Spiritually speaking, dead to the law and alive in Christ. And if alive in Christ and married with Christ, crucified with Christ as we carry our cross, reckon the old man, the old woman, dead. Remember, Jeremiah 17, 9, I say it again, just like we studied on Sunday, the heart is deceitfully, deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. That's what's inside of me and inside of you. But what happens when it's you and me who gives, takes our heart and gives it to the Lord? Thus fulfills what Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why, Lord, this heart is yours. You do with it what you want. Whatever you want, you do with it. I don't care. You know, it's yours. I'm yours, Lord. Here am I. Here am I. I am yours. Oneness with Him. Intimacy with Him. Married to Him. Male, female, married to Him. And I don't say this to like, you know, hurt your feelings or anything. I don't say this to like challenge you to the point where it's like, wow, this is impossible. I still say it to challenge you. Because we're moving to perfection. You know, it's like, I've been called like a very weak guy before. 
Like, man, you're so weak. You're so weak. And you know what? Inside, you know, I just stood there and took it. But like inside, you know, I was rejoicing so much, rejoicing so much because I know what the old man would have done. I know exactly what the old man would have done. And I was rejoicing. Wow, Lord, look at the work you've done. Look at what you've done in this journey, Lord. The old man, that guy would have been dead. But the new guy that you've made, because I gave you my heart, it's yours. I don't want It's yours, Lord. I don't want it back. <laughs> that heart that I gave to you, Look at what you've done with it, Lord. Because when people are mocking you, making fun of you, oh, you're such a legalist, you're so stupid. You know, you're, you shouldn't be reading the Bible as much as you do. You know, you know, go to, listen to this other guy. Listen to this other guy who says, you know, it's okay to go grave soaking. Come on, let's go grave soaking as a family. And just rejoice in your heart of hearts. Where it's you and the Lord. You know, our husband. Koinonia. How beautiful intimacy is with our Lord. And think with all the noise that we have today. Cell phones, sports. You know, all these alerts pop up all the time. Alert, alert, alert. Social media, TV. All these things. Movies. You know, TV shows. Everybody wants to watch these TV shows. You know, they talk, hey, did you see the latest? I don't even know what you're talking about. Hey, did you hear the latest about this guy? Who is that guy? I don't even know who that is. Are you talking about the Bible? Who is that guy? <laughs> it's like the opposite, you know? It's crazy. We're living in crazy town. It's a crazy world. But these days have to come. These days were told to us that they would come. And so look at verse 33 here in closing. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each one by his family, according to their father's houses. Praise the Lord. What we're reading here and studying here in Numbers, this journey that Israel is about to embark on, a lot happens in this journey. And we're going to see, like, they start to move forward. They start to go forth. And it's like, whoa, we're going to study all of it. It's going to be, you're going to see all these kinds of ups and downs. Your heart's going to be broken. You're going to rejoice. But I see a lot of parallels to our walk with the Lord. That's why the Lord tells us, with the power of the Holy Spirit and with the Helper, capital H, we can choose the right path, the right way, the way of righteousness, you know, following after the Spirit and not the flesh. So we're going to end our study here and Lord willing, pick up in chapter 3 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.